1: And today we are in the midst of our week of WAH, looking back at possibly the best goalie in NHL history who was part of the Colorado Avalanche for eight solid seasons. This is the first week that he played with them 25 years ago. Uh, If you've been following me on Twitter, which you should be doing that, uh, over at LOPN underscore Avalanche, as well as on Instagram. Locked on Avalanche and definitely send any questions, comments, concerns, opinions, any memories of Patrick Watts, to Locked on Avalanche at gmail.com. Uh, we've been, yeah, kind of because this is the week that they traded for him, which was on Sunday, Sunday, last, this past Sunday was 25 years to the day. Kind of been uh, reminiscing a little bit on social media and of course this show about Patrick Wah and what he meant to the Colorado Avalanche, bringing two Stanley Cup championships uh, to the the state of Colorado. And Monday was part two of the crossover event with Ethan and Nolan from Locked On Red Wings. And in uh, part two was pretty much about the rivalry, uh, all of it, including what Patrick Waugh played in it. And today we're going to be looking back. Uh, Pretty much at his career, just his personality, the type of person he was on the ice, off the ice, his superstitions, which were (laughs) some of them incredible. Um, And we're going to kind of be going through that. And then on Friday, kind of his uh, brief coaching stint and uh, kind of wrapping it up on Friday's show. So, uh, But like I said, definitely follow on Twitter where we're putting kind of some more stuff up. Uh, just about Patrick Waugh. And you can also follow uh, the the perils of the Colorado Avalanche jacket that I have ordered uh, probably about a week ago. And it seems to be crisscrossing the country. And I, I know exactly where it is. It's not like I've, I'm trying to track it down or anything because it's missing. It's not missing. Uh, FedEx. It's, I mean, this is the this season. It's a crazy season for holiday season. I know they have thousands and thousands of packages to deliver. Uh, and then by no means am I getting annoyed about this. It's more just fun and entertaining because this package has literally gone from coast to coast, East to West, North to South. Uh, it was even in the state that I live in New York it was in the state and then somehow went down to Florida. And then now it then it went back up to South Carolina and now it's in New Jersey. So uh, maybe tomorrow it'll be back in Texas, which it has been in Texas too. So uh, it's kind of fun and funny. So uh, if for nothing else, follow my Twitter account for that. All right. Uh, we got to get to some hockey news though because we might be... Having a major development in an announcement that we probably possibly could have some hockey. Um, if you've been paying attention to the newswire, it's looking like the owners and the players are slowly. There's still a lot to work out, but they are slowly coming together on at least the framework of a deal. And you know we, we don't we don't have all of the specifics on on what's going on, but we do know that it seems like the owners have kind of put aside this wanting more money and dealing with more money and asking the players to uh, take a a bigger hit when it comes to the escrow account. It seems like they're putting that to the side, and the main thing here is uh, a, a possible date. It seems like January 13th, is the date that they are targeting. It doesn't mean that's the date that is set in stone. It hasn't been announced yet. But all the news coming out of it is that is the date that they are looking at to target to start playing. Now what's that mean? That means in just over a month we're going to have a regular season and and it, and the you know the 13th is game 1. That's not preseason. With this deal there would be no preseason. Training camps would open up pretty much, I, I, I'm th- I don't know if I have a date for that, but it would be around, you know, a little bit after Christmas time, and you would do a couple weeks of training camp, and then you hit the ground running, so obviously the big factor here is where do you play these games, do you do them in hub cities, is there a handful of hub cities? Do you just go to... Do you travel like normal, at least within the United States? I don't see that happening right away. I think they are going to do some uh, Hub City kind of framework. And it's, again, more looking like the Canadian teams are only going to be playing themselves. I don't see, at least in the beginning... I don't, And again, I mean, you have to come out with some sort of schedule. So... I don't see how you can tell the Canadian teams, well, you know, we'll just do, we'll just play each other for X amount of games or up until X amount of date and then we'll reevaluate. I don't think you can really do that. I think you have to kind of book these games right off the bat and get the whole season scheduled. So it's going to be unfortunate for the Canadian teams. And then that that begs the question what do you do? When the playoffs come, there's got to be a two week break uh, for the playoffs. And then you have, you know, you maybe go back to the hub cities for the playoffs and have all those Canadian teams come down here. Um, Or if by then things are getting a little bit better, you can kind of lax on those rules. And both governments are okay with, uh, you know, people crossing borders as long as there's still some, you know, framework in place for monitoring them and testing and all that stuff. Maybe by that time, we can go back to a little bit of normalcy. Who knows? But uh, right now, they probably have all those things in play. Um, but this is all, you know, and it's looking like a 56-game season. And this is all for getting some sort of season in for this year. But even more than that, it's, it's for starting next year on time. So you're sacrificing a little bit. And this is what... I was saying with Adam. Um, I even talked to Kyle about this. Everybody knows Kyle Sullivan. Um, you know the owners have to, and I, and when you're a businessman, it, it you don't want to lose money. You're not in business to lose money. I get it, uh, but these are very different times. So for a a brief period of a shortened season. The owners are going to have to be okay with losing a little bit of money. And maybe those bigger franchises aren't like Toronto and New York. Maybe, maybe they'll still find a way to come out on top or break even. Who knows? But those smaller market teams, even like the Colorado Avalanche, uh, even though they have a billionaire owner, uh, when it comes to hockey-related revenue, you would have to think that everybody is going to have to take some sort of hit. And be okay with that. And that's counterintuitive and counterproductive to what businessmen do. You're not in business to lose money. But you might have to because you lock out and fans are not coming running back when you maybe hopefully do get to that next season that hopefully starts on time. Because everybody's been going through a world of crap this year. And the last thing that anybody wants to hear is billionaires talking about losing some millions. And if I was in that situation, I probably wouldn't want to either. But look at the totality of it. What, you know, average Jane and uh, Joe are going through is, you know, so much more worse compared to what, like, somebody like the Cronkies are going through. So... I think I don't know how it happened. I don't know. I, from from I read one article that said the the players would have been okay with giving up more hockey related revenue if the salary cap increased next season, and apparently the owners balked at that. Shockingly, <laughs> so maybe that was the card that they pulled to get them to say, "Okay, we'll we'll move forward and we'll put the revenue... Because if we can get this thing corrected, maybe there's still a chance we can have fans, and that's where obviously they make their money at the gate, and you know, ticket sales and concession sa- sales. Uh, so if we can get our heads on straight and correct this thing, the quicker we can get our butts back into the arenas because that's where we want to be. Let's get real, all right. Uh, let's hear from our good friends over at built bar and then we'll kind of get into our Patrick wah discussion. So, all right. We've all heard about built bar over and over again on this show. And you have also been hearing about built go and built go is their fantastic new product, which kind of gets you through your day. And I say it all the time. If you hit that wall halfway through the day, if you're at your desk, the morning coffee has worn off, and you need that pick me up to get through the day. Everybody seems to be turning to energy drinks and five hour energy drinks and monster drinks. Uh, those things are not good for you. I don't I, I'm a label reader. I don't know if anybody out there is a label reader. If you did read the labels of those things, you probably would stop drinking them. They are absolutely loaded with sugar, which really does nothing for you in the long run, except just make you feel like crap. Well, Built Go is an easy to take one and a half ounce package. So you can put it absolutely anywhere in your briefcase, in your desk, in your car. It's ready to go whenever you need it. It is a great work pre-workout gel. Take it before you're about to start a workout. And it is like a monster drink, and a five hour energy drink, but it doesn't have the crash feeling that you get from those, and it's better for your body. Comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. It combines energy gel with collagen protein, and collagen protein is is fast absorbing, so it gets into your system fast and it's easy on your stomach. It's loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work, like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a little kick of caffeine. And then it keeps you going strong with B6 and B12 vitamins. It's the it's a fantastic thing to get you through your day. Trust me on that. So biz, visit BuiltGo.com. Use the promo code LOCKED and you get 20% off of your next order. Once again, that promo code is LOCKED and 20% comes off of your next order at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right. As we turn our attention to Mr. Patrick Wah. Like I said in the beginning, 25 years ago, he joined the Avalanche team in kind of a a. I guess, I don't want to say career-defining move for him, but definitely a franchise-defining moment for the Avalanche in their infancy uh, in their move to Colorado. They were a, a very good team as is, uh, but when you are presented with the opportunity to get somebody like Patrick Wah, you do it. Um and his you know he he's that tight he was that type of guy and still is that you know when he's on your team you root for him when he's not on your team you pretty much hate him and can't stand him um he he had that like cocky way about him but it, it was des- it was deserved he he earned it uh he he I I almost compared him to cuz he always wanted you know he Every hockey player wants to win. I get that. But he had that way about him where it was life and death to to win a hockey game. And I always compared him to Paul O'Neill. If you remember Paul O'Neill from the New York Yankees. At the time, when I was younger, watching Paul O'Neill kind of annoyed me to watch Paul O'Neill. Because when you play baseball, you know, when you're a hitter, you know, baseball technically is a failing sport. You get a hit three times out of ten, and you're considered an all star. And Paul O'Neill, when every time he would strike out or, or fly out or do anything that was other than get a hit, uh, you know he had the attitude of he messed up. Uh, why didn't I get a hit there? And it's like it it rubbed me the wrong way because you needed to go in with the mentality of like I'm going to fail more often than I'm going to succeed in baseball. But I've come to really, really appreciate a guy like Paul O'Neill and that mentality. Now that I am, you know, quote, older and wiser. And you really want guys like that on your team. You want guys like that, even though they know they can't succeed every single time in a sport like baseball. uh, You want them to feel like they can every time they step up to the plate. And you wanted that mentality in a Patrick Waugh where he knows he's not going to stop every single shot that comes his way, but he's damn going to play like it. And he did every single game. And, you know, when when he would lose a game, he took it personally. Uh, And that's, you know, he he was not afraid to call himself out or call other people out. He didn't, he didn't, like, he was going to tell it like it is. And I think, you know, when you're kind of young and you see that, uh, Again, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But now that I look back on it, it's like, no, that's that's what you want. You want that brutal honesty in today's day and age. And, and, and in sports, you want that. And you don't get it so much anymore because a lot of athletes are coddled. And they don't want to be thrown under the bus or they don't want to be called out. He didn't care. He, he figured that would make you play better. Most of the time, it did. So he, mean, he was dominant for the entirety of his career. This was not someone who retired because he was starting to tail off in the twilight of his career. And you look at the numbers and they backed that up, uh, his best season ever in terms of goals against was his second to last season. It was the one and only time in his career that he posted a less than two goals against average at 1.94. And, oh, by the way, his second best season in goals against average was his very last season at 2.18. So he was not retiring because the league is passing him by. He was retiring because he was in the league for 20 years. Close to it. Um, But it's it's incredible to just look at the awards that he was given where's his uh, I think 11 time all-star um con Smythe winner in three for three times in three different decades 8586 which was his rookie season um technically his rookie seasons yeah where was the other ones so 8586. 92, 93, and 2001. So nobody's ever done that since. When when in three different decades, I, I mean anything is possible, but it's probably going to be a very long time before that does happen again. Uh, Yeah, eleven All Star games. Like I said, Vesna Trophy. I mean, he's always in the running. He's won it one, two, three. Three times, I'm kind of going this on the fly. I think three times for that, but finished second a few times, finished third a few more times after that. Just, uh, it's just, uh, you know, nonstop accolades. So the thing that you really, again, when you look back, appreciate about Patrick Waugh is, yeah, he was a pain in the butt sometimes. Um, And if you were on another team, you clearly didn't like him. But he would always, and and I'm going to say this, and people are going to be like, well, he fought two Detroit goalies. Yeah. Well, everybody fought everybody in that series. But he had genuine respect for the game and opponents. And uh, Adrian Dater has a really good book, 100 Things Avalanche Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, Definitely go get it. It's a really quick read. Uh, Each story is maybe a couple pages long. Uh, There's a few in there about WAH. But he writes um, kind of this one thing about him when the Avalanche lost that bloodbath game uh, to Detroit in overtime where Darren McCarty, who shouldn't have even been playing, scored the overtime game winner. Uh, That was Mike Vernon on Detroit. That was his 300th win. So you just threw down with the Detroit Red Wings, you lose it in overtime. Um, and what does Patrick Wadu do? He collects the puck, and as he's uh, exiting the ice, tosses it in the direction of Mike Vernon. I never saw that. I don't, it probably wasn't on the live broadcast, because they were probably focusing in on Detroit scoring. But uh, it just goes to show you, like he was in tune with stuff like that. He knew it was you know Vernon's he was at 299 uh and he knew the win got into 300 and you would think being in the position that he was in losing a game like that maybe emotion would take over and be like screw that i'm just getting off the ice but no he didn't let that get to, to get the best of him it's almost like a goalie fraternity collected the puck gave it to him i mean i think that speaks volumes for the type of player he was And how he respected uh, the people he was playing against. All right, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. I played the video when the NHL came out with their 100 players. Uh, I played that months ago. Uh, I'll play that again, and then uh, I'll quickly talk about uh, my favorite Patrick Waugh superstition.
2: Patrick Waugh was living in Quebec City and he was idolizing Rogi Vachon and his dad said to him, let's go to the Montreal Forum, the Kings are in town, let's go watch them play. And Patrick watched Rogi play that night and he said the next day that he put on pads he never felt the same. He said, I knew I was going to be a goaltender.
0: A Quebec native, Patrick Waugh became a fixture in goal for the Montreal Canadiens as a 20-year-old rookie during the 1985-86 season. First of all, he was a young kid, but secondly, the more shots he got, the better he played. And he had this incredibly great confidence
2: about him, a cockiness. There were great expectations on him. And everyone sort of knew that for the Canadians to do anything in that playoff run, they were going to need outstanding goaltending. Well, I mean, Patrick gave them things that I don't think anyone even expected they were going to have.
0: Well, the question of Margo, Montreal was in front of the net and to play, I think, 47 games that year. And uh, that brought a lot of confidence. Believed that it could make the difference in the game. He was a strong player and a very, very competitive player. And and once he got hooked into what he
2: wanted to do, which he did that spring, difficult to knock off. He was kind of the hot
0: hand and kind of the trump card that they were kind of holding. And it turned out that was a pretty good trump card. Reminiscent of Ken Dryden's remarkable rookie playoff performance from 15 years earlier, Waugh's glittering goaltending led a Canadian's team that had amassed just 87 points in the regular season on a stunning run that ended with the franchise's 23rd Stanley Cup and earned him the Conn Smythe Trophy. Proving his rookie year was no fluke, the honours and awards kept coming for Waugh. He won the Vezina Trophy in 1989, 90 and 92, and backstopped the Canadians to another Stanley Cup in 1993, winning the Conn Smythe Trophy once again.
2: He became this great icon in the city of Montreal that the fans understood how important he was to this team. He was incomparable.
0: A storybook ending for Wa's career in Montreal seemed inevitable. But that all changed when Canadiens coach Mario Tremblay kept Wa in the net as he gave up nine goals against the Detroit Red Wings on December 2, 1995
2: so he leaves the ice and he storms down behind the bench and he walks past mario trombley gives him the look of death and then walks back and says something to ronald corey who's then the president of the team sitting directly behind the bench i'm not going to play another game for the montreal canadians that's it i'm done and a few days later patrick Roy is traded to the colorado avalanche the start of that 95 96 season i think everybody who followed that Colorado team felt it was a really good team. He not only gave them a great goaltender every night, but he gave them a swagger. And in hindsight, he was the missing piece.
0: Wah's presence in Colorado paid off immediately as the Avalanche captured the franchise's first Stanley Cup and its second cup in 2001, with Wah becoming the first player in NHL history to win the Conn Smythe Trophy three times. He finished his career in 2003 as the all-time leader in both regular season and postseason wins by a goaltender. Confidence in the game for me starts and ends at the goaltending position. How can you not possibly for a second imagine that they were nothing but confident the teams he played on, whether they were in Montreal or Colorado. They were confident teams because Patrick Waugh was in goal. He wasn't just the consummate winner. He was a trendsetter who inspired a generation of goaltenders to imitate the style that he perfected. He's one of the first guy that started the butterfly, very successful with it. You see all the butterfly goalies now? Thanks, Patrick. He really revolutionized the position of goaltending with his his style. I think he perfected the
2: position myself.
0: He did what he had to do in order to stop pucks, and ultimately it became the style and and remains that way today.
1: Because of Patrick, goalies were important, but he was so consistent, and that was something that when I played in the NHL early on, I wanted to mimic. I said, you know, if I'm able to be as consistent as him, I think I'm going to have a good career, and that's kind of one of my things that I took from Patrick. He's one of those guys that you love to play against and you love to beat, but it was hard to do. He's a gamer. The bigger the game, the better he played. All right, so, yeah, could watch that over and over again. Uh, It's just, you know, a a lot that you can take out from that. And I think the one thing that among other things that you can take out from that is, you know, he gave you a chance to win every single night. Uh, and his der- determination, he definitely, definitely had a swagger about him. And when that position has that type of player having that type of mentality, it rubs off on the rest of the team, especially when that team is good just to begin with. Uh, you, you just have so much more confidence. He had all the confidence in the world. Um, and, you know, go ask a team like Florida, who they the Avalanche swept in, in the Stanley Cup Finals. And he, he pretty much just felt like they didn't have a shot in how to beat him. And when you have that mentality, that's it's, it's what's going to happen. You know, it's like the the quarterback position in, in football. When you are going up against a guy who's the general, who's in charge... Uh, it just makes it so difficult. You have to be on your game going against them to beat them. You can't rely on them having an off night. You have to rely on yourself having the best night of your life to beat them. And that was what teams did every single time they went up against Patrick Waugh. Wow. That's why I love guys like Manning, like Peyton Manning. You, When he played with the Colts, I hated going up against him because you knew you had to play your best game. And then when he came to Denver... You finally felt like the table's had turn. Now they got to play their best game. So, um, and for Patrick Waugh, uh, you know, like so many athletes have so many superstitions. He's well known for his, uh, the way he would skate onto the ice, would never skate almost like a baseball player jumping over the chalk lines. He would never skate over the lines on the ice. Uh, apparently he had a pregame meal that he ate all the time, which, you know, a lot of players do that. Um, <clears throat> the one that a lot of people talk about is him talking to his goalposts, like they were living, breathing things. Uh, and he readily admits that he did that. Um, he, and he recounts the first time he did it. He just was sitting in net talking to them saying, I need your back tonight, guys. And he said, sometimes they helped me. Sometimes they didn't. Um, but the one that I love the most is you always see goalies when they come out to start a period and they'll go back and forth and scrape the ice in front of them. And, you know, the reason they do that is to make the surface no longer smooth. So if a puck is coming in, it doesn't sail right into their goal. Uh, when he would do that, or when maybe like the ice girls were coming around and, getting whatever, if after the first stoppage of play and they'd pick up some of the, you know, the, the ice that's been scraped around on the ice, uh, he was a lot of goalies will push it into their goal. And he wouldn't do that because he didn't want anything in his goal is the way that he said it. So that scraped snow would go off to the side or around to the back of the net, not inside the net. When you have that mentality that nothing belongs in my goal, you're the right man for the job. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So that will be it for today, everybody. But definitely let me, let me know anything Patrick Waugh on your mind. Let me know at lockdownavalanche at gmail.com or send it to me on uh, Twitter, L-O-P-N underscore Avalanche. And we will get to... His time as a coach on Friday, among other things, although didn't end the way that anybody really thought it would in Colorado. Uh, his time, although it was short, was pretty successful. So we'll get to that, like I said, among other things on Friday. One thing will definitely be emails, so I definitely want to read some emails from you guys if uh, you want to write them to me and let me know what your thoughts on Wa are. That'll be it for today, everybody. I appreciate you tuning in each and every day. If it's the first time or if it's the 213th time, I appreciate it just the same. So we'll see everybody on Friday. Here's Jovi.
2: Go, Abs, go!